Welcome to episode 14 of Lights in the Sky podcast, casual chat about uncasual things. I'm Luke. And it's Tony for episode 14, checking in. <laughs> All right. Good week? Yeah. You can say no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I want to be posy. <laughs> so I'll be posy. Uh, yeah, good week. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've got a long weekend. We do have a long weekend. How but- long is it? Uh, longer than... Tell me how long it is. <laughs> it's as long as the day is long. Right. <laughs> so we have a three-day weekend. We have a three-day weekend coming up. Is Easter the only four four days off at Easter, don't you? Mm, That's kind yeah. of kind of weird. Yeah. Like most long weekends are three days off, but we get four at Easter. Yeah. Is it... Is there like, anywhere else where that happens? Nothing around... Uh, depending on Christmas... Oh, Christmas could Christmas, be... Christmas Day, Boxing Day, Saturday, Sunday would be four days. Yeah, and I guess uh, New Year's could be... I like I like the 2nd of January, public holiday, is the day after New Year's Day. It's <laughs> yeah. a public holiday. Yeah, just because, why not? Yeah. Okay, so there's actually more of these than I thought. So, okay. <laughs> I wish we could start again. I wouldn't sound like such an idiot. <laughs> so this... Um, what's this public holiday coming up? This is... Uh, Queen's birthday. Queen's birthday. So that's probably not something they have in America. No, it wouldn't a queen. Be. Yeah, but they just had Memorial Day, right? That's right, yes. Mm. So, we have Anzac Day, which I kind of um, call... That's kind of like our equivalent of Memorial Day. So, do they have a Benjamin Franklin's birthday or something? <laughs> Trump's birthday? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Probably soon. The um, I guess, like, with Memorial Day weekend, like, that is kind of... It's like the start of summer, isn't it, for the States? Like, that's... Mm. So I guess it's how it's the start of our winter. Oh, <laughs> that's a bit depressing. Yeah. Um, do you like winter sports? Yes. The weird thing about sports is there's winter sports and summer sports, but like say the cricketers, it's a summer sport. They play here during the summer and seem to just tour the rest of the world during winter. Yeah. So like they're playing right now in Ireland and Bangladesh. They played like two days ago. It's a summer sport. So they just follow summer around? What's the season guess, then? Well, I guess it's like um, if you're like a snowboarder, you follow winter. So you'll do yeah. You'll do your winter in northern hemisphere and then come down into this. Yeah, I suppose so. Is the Winter Olympics a different time of year than the Summer Olympics? Yeah, it's winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like... They, they would have to, um, you know, cater for which continent they're in, though. It would be, um, but it's it's um, it's it sounds like a really dumb question. It now. is. It's but what I meant was it really they, sounded like a dumb question. What um, I meant was they they obviously so, must move it right depending yeah, on which so country. So when they're in. like Sydney had yeah. the Olympics in two thousand, yeah, which was probably the last time it was down in the southern yeah. hemi. Uh, they schedule it for a different time. I think it was like, was it like September or something like that? So it was kind of almost like, uh, mm. it was like our spring, spring. Yeah. North America, Northern Hemisphere, um, autumn fall sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you, so you've joined the um, Seasonal Sports Podcast. <laughs> and we talk about sports. Seasons. And um, yeah, and and how often they hold the Summer Olympics, <laughs> and what seasons they hold the Summer Olympics in. Uh, so far, we've had uh, fall and um, spring. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, moving right along. Um, the usual question: Anything paranormal happened to you since our last recording? 
So, um, I made a bold move. Paranormal move, or yeah, it was actually. Are we confusing abnormal and paranormal again? No, no, no. This is this is this is a paranormal twist. So I, I, um, so obviously my, my my partner who I am now with knows I do this podcast. Yeah. But probably didn't realize how much I was into paranormal stuff. So oh. we were watching. You've had to come out as a paranormalist. Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so we were watching this doco last night, and the conversation was like, "Well, well, you know, put on whatever you want." And I was like, "Well, not watching a doco." Um, it was like, well, put on whatever you want. I'm going to have a shower. You put on whatever you want. Like, you said put on put on whatever you want like way too many times then. <laughs> anyway. Because I keep thinking it's like, like, like a clothing thing. It's like, put on whatever you want. I'm having a shower. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a sexual podcast. <laughs> Not so far. If you're, if you're getting sexually aroused no, from this podcast. No, just come on. What did, you, what did you put on? What did you, what did you put <laughs> what on? What did I put on? <laughs> What did you watch on TV? <laughs> what did I slip into? Yeah. Um, so the doco I put on was about um, alien abduction. <laughs> so then I had to justify that I believe in this and this is why it happens. Um, and I think, you know, I don't think I sounded completely crazy. I think <laughs> the witnesses who testified to the so-called um abduction by terrestrial extras is your story tonight around that same one no it's not i'm okay. not doing aliens all right <laughs> you always typecast me why <laughs> this is it's another sea serpent you've found <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what was the reaction when you outed yourself as a it UFO? was i actually believe well you know i actually believe what the people said yeah. I said, ah, okay, well, if you like that, how about you look into... I was like, this is probably not going to happen, but I was like, I could tell you more about, say, Betty and Barney Hill. Do you know that abduction story? Uh, Betty and Barney Rubble? No. no different story. <laughs> Betty and Barney Hill? Different story. I Do you think. know that one? No. Do you know Travis Walton? Rings a bell. Do you know the Allagash abductions? no okay well don't look into any of those because i might do those as topics <laughs> you obviously don't <laughs> You're know saying them. that not just to me but to everybody <laughs> listening no like seriously like um i actually watched a documentary like two days ago on the allegash abductions which are one of my favorites okay stop talking about them if you're not going to talk about them in depth well i'm thinking i might <laughs> i might delve into the allegash so don't 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 look up allegash abductions because <laughs> i might do that Stop saying the name of it. <laughs> you won't be able to, no one can spell it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. The Alcatraz abduction, That's right? That's right. Yeah. 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 The Baby Bash abductions. <laughs> sugar, sugar. So what was... It was um, one of the songs, Baby Bash. Sugar, what, was the, what was the reaction? Recently redone by Francesco Yates. Have you been, excuse the pun, alienated by your partner then? Oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> After that. No, look, I think, I think there's some questions about my sanity. <laughs> But I think that the people in the docker, I chose the one I chose because I'd watched it before. I'd watched it before, and the conversation had drifted towards alien abduction. I had said how, as a child, I was petrified of being abducted by aliens because my bedroom at my mum and dad's house was like I had the one at the far end of the house. That's right. Yeah. And I was is it the car, the car of Ab? Yeah. Yeah. And I was always <laughs> petrified that um, 
I would be abducted because mm. I was down the far end of the house and I could easily be abducted. All alone. Yeah, it used to freak the shite out of me. <laughs> so I, I sort of explained, like, I was really scared of that, about this because I genuinely believed in it. And it's weird because you didn't move into that house till you were like 17, 18. <laughs> <laughs> Still. <laughs> Can an 18 year old not weep that he may be abducted? Like every buzzing noise. Why do you think I turned off that heat pump that makes that buzzing noise? It sounds like it could be a UFO hovering over my house. It's definitely it. Yeah. So I guess that's my paranormal thing, that I came out as a paranormal geek, and uh, it was me okay. Loud and proud. Yeah. Is there a, like, obviously there's, you know, there's various pride events. Is there a paranormal <laughs> pride event? Uh, this stage is going to be probably just going to be you and a handful of others wearing costumes walking down a street which is yet to be closed off <laughs> getting honked at well they've got the marathon um the christchurch marathons here this weekend so they'll be closing streets so we might also stay oh, as the paranormal pride parade that's perfect timing oh the ppp <laughs> the trip p so if you're interested in coming to the paranormal pride parade <laughs> uh just you know hit us a tweety um i had what's this year's uh theme for the paranormal pride parade what float are we doing (laughs) um it's going to be a um 18 year old on a saucer right uh weeping 18 year old nice um made out of tissue paper obviously right because i was thinking there was a float i saw at the uh, gay pride parade like a long sort of like phallic type thing <laughs> we could redo that and make it a sea serpent yeah there you go put some eyes on it and you're yeah. laughing <laughs> there we go it's like some googly eyes on it. <laughs> and we got it <laughs> um i was actually gonna say um i had something potentially paranormal happen to me and this is legitimately huh? So I've got a book that I'm reading at the moment. Um, it's the um, follow-on from Secret Machines um, by To The Stars Media, yeah. um, which is called God's Man in War. Um, so author is Tom DeLong, and I think is that one Peter Lavender, or is it the other one? Um, Tom DeLonger? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Isn't yeah. it weird that we I told you, we used to talk about Tom DeLong from our blink, our mutual love for Blink-182, yeah. and now we talk about him for a mutual appreciation for the paranormal. That's yeah, great. That's it. Yeah, so it's by... Do you know 18 years ago, Enema of the State came out? Oh, yes. I, <laughs> you did, I, yes, yeah. I yeah, 15 was Boxcar Racer. Anyway. That, oh, sorry, that's what you see, a Boxcar Racer. Was 15, yeah. Enema of the State. So this book sitting on my nightstand bedside table is called I'm glad you corrected nightstand with bedside table called nightstand is trying to brush term. over it <laughs> don't cover up you said nightstand is called god's man in war and it's um an official secret machines investigation into the ufo phenomenon um i also is it marketed as a fiction or a non-fiction no this one is marketed as a non-fiction right um and it has a lot of well, a lot of the early stuff that i'm kind of up to reading um is around the idea of a cargo cult so um where there there's not to dive too deeply into it but there's tribes in um the pacific that um talk amongst themselves of encounters with beings that may that had machines in the sky um, made loud noises would drop off um 
uh, food for these people to eat. And Isn't it just the UN dropping aid parcels? That's exactly my point. So these people would worship these um, beings from these machines, and it turned out that it was actually... This took place at, during World War Two in the Pacific. Right. And, um, and uh, the people dropping things off were the Red Cross. So right. there are shrines in these islands of Red Crosses that these people believe were gods from another planet um, because they were so far removed from civilization. Wowzers, okay. Yeah, so um, the where I think the book's going is uh, relating that to... Um, uh, those human, uh, sorry, those civilization stories where you talk about Egyptians and that, um, what do they call it? Where alien intervention back in the early days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all sorts of evidence around where we visited by, um, ancient aliens, ancient aliens, or were those aliens just from different countries with their own technologies? Um, and it kind of, kind of, um, rang a bell with, your story uh, from a few weeks back, which had the blimp-type UFO. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yep. So um, the reports from Timaru and um, the New Zealand southern New Zealand. Flap. Yeah. yeah, the flap around New Zealand was around um, this UFO, but looking into descriptions of it, it could have just been, um, you know, Chinese technology or... Um, something like that but anyway this book is sitting on my nightstand so oh, you should look it's sitting on my bedside table with a leather bookmark in it just that may be important on top of that i put my samsung galaxy s8 plus my new phone uh-huh. which is it's got no cover on it and it's quite slidey you dare burp on Mike. <laughs> I didn't burp. <laughs> you did so. St- I had a grumble. It's if anyone. Oh. <clears throat> um, so the I last... I was to clear my throat and it was a bit more aggressive than I thought. Probably two out of the last three nights, I've sat my phone on this book and it's sitting flat. Um, the first night I woke up, my phone was on the floor and I was like, well, that's weird. Hmm. Last night, did the same thing. And it was before I was even asleep. My phone was on the floor. I heard I heard it drop. So it was dark in the room. And just dark in the room. I heard it. Long, wondered long. what the heck was that. Went back to sleep. And um, oh, sorry, not went back to sleep. Went to sleep anyway because I couldn't figure out what it was. I figured maybe there was a. Uh, so, sort of sounded like if you have a drink bottle and it kind of pops. Yeah. Yeah. S- sounded like that. I thought we get another old dog walking along your deck. <laughs> yeah. Woke up uh, this morning, went to grab my phone, and it was on the floor. And so, in my head, either it's paranormal or it's a really slidey phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> what other services have you tried your phone on? For, I haven't uh, yet, but uh, to test its slidiness, we're well, getting it in and out of my pocket. I have to be really careful because I don't use any kind of um, protection on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> What? I don't. You don't. No. Um, you don't use living dangerously, you could, could put it. Um, I guess you're married. You don't need to use protection anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the other thing is if, I, if I'm if i lying on the couch and sit my phone on my chest, just if, I'm, if I check it, watch TV, just sit it on my chest and carry on watching TV, it will inevitably slowly slide off. Right. It's a slippy phone, but also... 
Don't know, eh? Was it Born Slippy? <laughs> I think that was, a, that was like a song from like early 2000s. We've gone way too, way too long on the intro. I really have. The intro is nearly as long as a hypothetical is, isn't yeah. it? Um, I might switch it up then and give you a shorter hypothetical. Yep. It's a bit of a deep and meaningful one, but... Uh, and and I was thinking about this today, and it's not even meant in a funny way. Right. So uh, what made me think of it was I was looking at images of um, some of the different rock formations on Mars. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So the hypothetical, I guess, is what happens to our world and our belief systems and everything if when they go to Mars and start drilling they find artifacts not just bones fossils and things like that things that are made pottery yeah coins maybe not coins like, but a, like a hammock yeah a hammock yeah. A dishwasher. for holding for holding bananas yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah what happens then what do you think the impact of that like would cheap, be cheap pie makers from <laughs> a department store what would the impact be if um they dug up even something as simple as um as some pottery right so from a rock in mars what does that does that blow religion out of the water does that People completely talk change about this, how religion is blown out of the water because i think part of it is that there's this view that god created earth but they also say the heavens and the earth and sort of stuff i think in mm. genesis when, when they talk about it and I don't know why religion's always thrown out by it. I mean, there's, there's no reason why, in my opinion, not that I'm religious at all, but why, um, whatever this, the perception of a human-based god is, that they couldn't have created other civilizations mm-hmm. in his image. Um, I guess it gets difficult when you have um, extraterrestrial grey aliens and they talk about being created in God's image. Well, probably not mm-hmm. the same-looking image there. Mm-hmm. Um I think, for me, I, I feel that maybe there was inhabitation of Mars at some time. Yeah. So it would almost seem... And the civilization may never have reached great levels of, um, I guess, sophistication. Complexity, yeah. Yeah, because whatever, I mean, whatever happened to the planet, and I'm not sure like, you know, if there was um, some sort of issue that destroyed the atmosphere of, the, of, of, of Mars, um, had that happened... Then maybe the can I just stop you there? Reach. We're verging on an uncasual chat here. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. I sounded very serious. Didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I see what you're saying. So I guess from my in, in my perspective, I I would be fascinated by it. Mm. I think it would be amazing. I think it'd be great. Yeah, I, yeah. I think like I I would want to know as much about it as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do you think the reaction think... would be from say NASA? Um, if it turned out to be, you know, SpaceX or something like that, what does anything change? Does the program just stay, or do you think funding would shift from? I think funding would go way out the other side. Like people would be wanting to get there to explore it, mm. but that would be if it were the site. So is the site like it was like a, a rover or something discovers? Yep, like it runs over a vase. Yeah, it knocks <laughs> a, a rare and priceless vase yeah. over, <laughs> shattering it in front of it. Um, Turn it over, says made in China. So yeah. how do you explain that? I was say, yeah, <laughs> if there's something like that on the side of it, what happens then? <laughs> it's obviously dropped off. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess your take on it would be not surprised. 
No, but I think that there could potentially be huge upheaval within some religious atmosphere on Earth. And yeah, I think it's like, I think where we live, we don't live in a particularly religious country. Like, we, you know, mm. when you think of all the hardline Christian or other beliefs that exist, and I guess New Zealand's still a predominantly Christian country, mm. everyone's pretty cruisy about it. And yeah. when you meet someone who goes to church, you're a bit like, really? <laughs> You go to church. That's a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas you think of other countries and you think of like Bible Belt America or you think mm. of ex- uh, Islamic extremist type areas. And like, I think we get shocked. Like there was a news story this week about like this um, caning of gay people in Indonesia. Like mm. they're getting caned in public because they've been with another person of the same gender. We're like, really? That's kind of dark. That's a bit dumb. Yeah. But I guess their perception of it is so different. So when that type of, um, I guess, when that sort of belief so devout, system encounters yeah. that, yep. how do they deal with it? And I think the risk would be what sort of fallout comes from those types, mm. like whether it gets a bit loco crazy mm. um, there. If they, yeah, I mean, if they find uh, some sort of a relic, doesn't necessarily i guess it is that kind of thing where it's it's not necessarily ruling theirs out still so it might be that there's no change but there would there would definitely be some kind of adjusting or shifting of certain parts of religions well it would, I, mean, I guess it would rewrite um history altogether that there was obviously something on mars before what had happened mm. um but scientific history right yeah absolutely yeah. um but I think it's, it would be a real clash. So whenever, whatever, whether it's that or another extraterrestrial sort of unveiling hypothesis disclosure, as they talk about, mm. I mean, it's going to shake up the whole religious fabric of things. Mm. I and mean, it wouldn't change me at all. Like, I, I fully believe it. So I would yeah. be like, oh, good. I'm glad they finally confirmed it. But I think there's so many people who maybe are out on that side that when it did come to the point that it was revealed, mm-hmm. there could be a lot of confusion, and the confusion sometimes turns to violence, and mm. that could be a bit nasty. <laughs> yeah, and I probably couldn't calm them down. But I think, like, I think, I think in our part of the world, wouldn't be much difference. Yeah, um, I think there could be some, yeah, a, a bit of some messy stuff going on in other areas. We do have that um, real understated thing in our in our you know attitudes it's more like a um bloody hell look at that let's move on yeah (laughs) yeah speaking of moving on um yeah so born slippy was released on the 1st of january 1995 you go let's Uh, keep it casual and the track is instrumental and features no lyrics really it is often confused with the more popular track born slippy.nuxx because the similar name (laughs) good to know um how much would I expect to pay in iTunes, or are we not there? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I'm Spotifying, so I'm not, I'm not, oh, okay. not too sure about Born Slippy. But, um, yeah. Cool. So, um, um, if, you're into, if you're into this, if you're into Born Slippy or bornslippy.nuxx, um, check it out on, I mean, I use Spotify. You can use Pandora. It's probably on YouTube. <laughs> right, let's move on to a story. We've spoken for way too long without any... Um, uh kind of any real hypothetical to be honest i deviated a fair bit into nightstands etc yeah we i think with that hypothetical was it was an interesting one it actually sort of took it probably you learned more about what makes our, us tick 
around how our mm. belief system works. Introspective. It was. Um, <laughs> how we let's not waste any more time debriefing on how we've wasted time. This is CNN. <laughs> like, that's kind of what I'm doing. Like. All right, so you're ready to get... So, yeah, you've got the story this week. What do you got for me? Okay, so... UFO, obviously. No, we're not We're not going UFO. Okay. Um, so, so far, so the last few... So, if you think of what I've done, I did UFO, questionable UFO... Definitely. UFO, um, <laughs> mysterious ghostly lady. Which one was that? La Piscolita. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, cryptid. Yeah. Keep talking. <laughs> the emergency broadcast system will kick in otherwise. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> and tonight, we bring to your ears the Van Meter Monster. Sounds like a UFO. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Over a series of nights in September and October of 1903, several respected and prominent people in the Iowa town of Van Meter reported terrifying encounters with an enormous half-human, half-animal with smooth bat-like wings. Half-human, half-animal, half-bat. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mabra <Mabra-pig. laughs> It lit off a powerful stench when aggravated, and it shot a blinding light from its horned head. Smell features heavily in your stories. Yeah, they always do, don't they? Yeah. This is stanky beasts. <laughs> um, which, ironically, when you turned up here, I was having a shower. So Let's move on. Smell me. Shots were fired at the creature each time it was seen. However, the monster shrugged them off like a minor nuisance. One witness even took a plaster cast of three great toad tracks Mm. okay so the odd thing about this one is it is a very short-lived debacle debacle yeah (laughs) was this monster sleeping with someone's wife it was a debacle (laughs) yeah so um what, what, what actually happens is over a couple of days in late september 1903 to early october um the creature appears and the the townsfolk uh, encounter the beast and this is their tale mm-hmm. okay so this is tuesday early morning september 29th 1903 it had been a warm start to autumn in van meter iowa local van meter resident UG griffith would have been able to take advantage of the nice weather to make his rounds mr griffith was traveling uh, as a tra- it was a travelling salesman who sold different tools throughout the area. But early Tuesday morning was different. As he pulled into his hometown of Van Meter after midnight, he noticed something different. On the roof of the Ma and Greg building, there was an unusual light where there had never been one before. And being 1903, not a, not, not not a, a whole bunch world. of lights around. No, yeah, no, exactly. Universally pretty derricky. He drove down the road, nearer to the light, and worked through the logical possibilities of what the light could be. So that's a real chin scratcherino. Like, <laughs> One thing that's um, blowing my mind straight off the bat is that in 1903, there was such a thing as a traveling salesman. Is that like I those guys was... you see with uh, like a cart and 
selling elixirs he's and driving whatnot. something yeah but like i think a lot of the population that time a lot of it was very rural so like there were little service towns mm. and like they would then go out around to all the farms and all satellite that yeah, yeah yeah to, to sort of um service them because they probably couldn't get off their farms to come into town to do things so yeah. being a traveling salesman and like buying and tools and stuff mm-hmm. yeah good stuff this is the progression of agriculture and industry through the years podcast <laughs> I love doing that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, okay. I have lost where I was. I wouldn't have guessed by your umming and ahhing. So um, what the the bird did? I put you on hold. <laughs> put the audience on hold. Yeah. Um, hold please. Yeah. He drove down the road nearer to the light and worked through the logical possibilities of what the light could be. One of his first thoughts was a troublesome one: burglars. But before he could get any closer to the building, something unexpected happened. The light mysteriously moved to the other side of the street. While it was suddenly clear that he wouldn't need to be worrying about burglars anymore, he was confounded. The light was now on the roof of another building on the opposite side of the street, so adjacent to where he had just seen it. Right. Effectively, it just jumped across the street. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as quickly as the unusual light had moved across the street, it disappeared altogether. Eventually reaching his home, Mr. Griffith drifted, drifted off to sleep, his mind still circling the unexplained light. Mm-hmm. So this is Tuesday day on September 29th, 1903 now. So what little sleep Mr. Griffith got was likely followed by confused conversation later that day as the town awoke to hear his unusual sighting. They were confused, perhaps because he was an established figure in the community of Van Meter, and what's more, respected as a human being. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Can confirm he was a human being. He owned a business with his brother, and they were uniformly respected throughout the Van Meter area. His brother was active in the community, sitting on the village council, and a member of at least two local clubs. Good to know. Small local clubs I'm a member of. (laughs) Uh, Newspapers reporting on the sighting insinuate that while perhaps intriguing, the sighting did not put the town into a fearful frenzy. Something far beyond frenzied fear was to come the next night. The sun set on Van Meter as any other day. Darkness blanketed the area by 6.30 that evening. The local town doctor, Dr. Olcott, lived in a room behind his office. As thunderstorms rumbled and flashed on the western horizon, and as Dr. Olcott prepared for bed, a dark and stormy night was about to commence. So here's early morning Wednesday, September 30th, 1903. Mm-hmm. In a frightening moment, the doctor was torn from his slumber by a bright light shining in his face. Whoa. This was not a light the doctor recognised. He instantly knew no one was seeking his help for a medical emergency or simply stopping by at an odd hour, peeking in to see if he was awake. This was different. That's a bit creepy, isn't it? Mm. Wasting no time, he ran outside to confront this conundrum where he was challenged with something beyond his years of experience and well beyond the realm of belief. Standing behind the source of the light, Dr. Alcott could make it a figure which was half-human and half-animal that displayed even more mind-boggling traits, such as great bat-like wings. The doctor could see where the light was coming from, and it was only muddled the mystery visitor even more. In the centre of the creature's forehead was a single blunt horn. The light seemed to be somehow emanating from this blunted horn. 
the Doctor was close to the creature and felt the only course of action was to slay the mysterious and monstrous source of light. Yes, which I do. love about the story is everyone's trying to shoot this bloody thing. <laughs> yeah. Gripping his gun firmly, he shot at the monster. Not only once or twice, but five fearful shots were hurled at the beast. The good doctor had to quickly rethink his initial approach after not a single shot had any noticeable effect on the creature. With only one shot remaining, Dr. Alcott retreated back. Turned the gun to himself (laughs) and ended it all. The end. (laughs) Once safe inside, the feeling was fleeting. He locked the doors and frantically moved to do the same to his windows. Lock up often, more often. Lock a window. Yeah. Yeah, that'll work. Uh, Sleep was not easy to come by, and with a gun in hand, Dr. Alcott eagerly awaited the comfort of light brought on by the morning. I think back in this sort of time, like, night time was bloody freaky. Mm. Like, crazy shite could happen. The worst that we will wake up with is a cold. You go to bed at (laughs) night, and you're like, oh, I'm waking up a bit sniffling. (laughs) But, like, this is a bit scarier, obviously. Yeah, you just flick all the lights on. Yeah. So, um, Wednesday, September 30th, 1903, at daybreak, those who heard Dr. Alcott's tale must have had disbelief written on their faces. How could someone such as the town doctor, trusted with the well-being of others, tell a tale of such terrifying encounters in the darkest of night? For the rest of Wednesday, Van Meter was set abuzz with whispers of Dr. Alcott's harrowing encounter. For those who had heard about Mr. Griffith's unusual sighting of the acrobatic light the night before, things would have started to add up but to all the wrong numbers. Van Meter remained cloudy all day in an almost foreboding grey. I love all these weather tablets. <laughs> so yeah. emotive. Yeah. Okay, early morning, Thursday, October 1st, 1903. Just a sliver more than half a moon peered out between passing clouds as Peter Dunn walked alone through the quiet night. And Local MP? Uh, yeah, coincidentally, he's the one who has pushed forward through the uh, legalisation of medicinal marijuana in New Zealand today. So, oh, interesting. So, yeah, Peter Dunn. <laughs> walked through the quiet night towards the Van Meter Bank. And I can imagine if you had a bit of medicinal marijuana, you'd you quite often see a half-man, half-bat. And be freaked out by lights. Yeah. <laughs> Shadows began to be illuminated by the soft glow of the moon only to be suddenly swallowed up by the next passing cloud. Peter was widely respected, and after completing his studies, he took a job as the cashier for the Van Meter Bank, where he was later promoted to bank manager and went on to hold several city positions, including mayor, over the next few decades. Peter was worried that robbers were the source of the town's excited sightings over the past couple of nights, and to help steady his nerves, he carried his trusty shotgun, packed with a formidable load of buckshot. Once at the bank... Peter settled in for a long night's watch. All about the killing. Just as on the previous two nights, things started to occur after midnight. The town clock struck one when he heard another noise, one he had not expected. The noise was confusing and sounded like garble gasps for air by some unseen creature. Pete described it as if someone was being strangled. Before he could investigate further, a strange light shone full upon him through the front window blinding him in an instant. Mm. As the light moved, it darted about the room, and Pete was able to garner a better glimpse of the source. Steadying the barrel of the shotgun towards the creature he now saw in front of him, he fired, and his shots shattered the glass of the bank's front doors. As quickly as it had appeared, the creature disappeared. A more thorough search was made as soon as dawn broke. 
Pete thought he had killed the creature, but nothing remained, save a few tracks. In true modern-day cryptozoologist form, Peter even made a plaster cast of the great three-toed tracks. Interesting. It's good thinking. Mm-hmm. It's good thinking. Yep. So we now flash forward to Thursday evening of October 1st, 1903. Yep. So things were quiet until the very striking moment, a grating, sharply harsh, and pointed shriek broke the night's silence. O.V. White was jolted awake by an abrupt racket emanating from just outside his st- second-story room on Main Street. O.V. White Kenovi? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he kept lodging over Fisher and White, the hardware and furniture store that he co-owned. Mr. White wasted no time in arming himself and, and likely having heard the talk of some <laughs> mysterious monster terrorizing the town There's at so night. so many guns in this town. I know. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. He may have already had a good idea of what he was in for. Like, if you worked at the gun shop, my mm. God, that's zillionaire. Yeah, you're the one, yeah. that, also the one with the mansion. Yeah. <laughs> See, the thing for me is, when you first started, I was thinking, like, you know, a nice wee old-timey town. Now all I can think of is like a western. But I think most towns were probably like this in the early 1900s because you guys defend yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, to continue the story on, he grabbed his gun and moved towards his window. As Mr. White's eyes adjusted to the night, he detected a dark figure on the cross member of the telephone pole. In a moment, Mr. White believed he was staring right at the monster. So they had phones then? They did, Mm -hmm. yes. Scarcely five metres away, the now-determined Mr. White pulled the trigger. The creature did not fall to the ground as Mr. White expected. Instead, at the very moment he fired, the creature's light turned on him. The shot from his gun only seemed to wake it up. His heart jumped at the terrifying realisation that he may have no way to defend himself from this terrible monster. Mr. White recalled that a powerful odour then filled the air, and it was he shit himself. And it was emanating from his ass. <laughs> and it was so strong that it seemed to stupefy him. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, in an experience already past capacity for unusual, he couldn't remember anything else about the night after he'd been struck by the foul stench. As the shot rang out, it woke, it woke Mr. Greg, who was sleeping in his store across the corner. As he opened the door and peered towards Main Street, he was met with the most curious creation descending the telephone pole. Mr. Gregg watched in dumbstruck belief as the monster descended the telephone pole using its beak like a parrot. So like a parrot, I guess, would pop down mm. instead of I think. It would, yeah, uh, yeah. Yep, hold around. Kind like of around. almost use it as a, an extra hand. That's like, right. I'll yep. hold on here and then move down. Exactly. <laughs> Upon preaching the ground, it stood erect, and Mr. Gregg's estimates it was and, and by Mr. Gregg's estimates it was at least eight feet high. Whatever it was, the light from its forehead was as bright as an electric headlight, and the light again darted about. With the flapping of its wings, the creature took great leaps, almost like that of a kangaroo. Just then fast mail came tearing through the town right on schedule. I assume it's some sort of vehicle that turns up like Fast post, courier oh, yeah. post, like an old like couriers. Like, would they day. have used a car? Yeah, yeah. Um, creating a familiar racket to the townsfolk in Van Meter, to the creature standing a mere five meters from Mister Greg, this seemed to be an unfamiliar noise. It crouched as if in a spring, paused for a moment, and ran on all four feet, heading towards the old coal mine. Extending its wings, the creature flew away and disappeared. Mister Greg clearly fl- 
flustered, only then remembered he had a gun. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, only then remembered he had wings and pursued him. <laughs> <laughs> but it was too late to use it. So what I'm going to show you now... I'll turn, that mic. I'll turn the screen around carefully and mm-hmm. show you an illustration of what the creature looked like. So you can describe it as you see it. Kind of like a pterodactyl. That's exactly with what a laser I beam for a <laughs> nose. <laughs> like a freaking laser yeah. <laughs> for it. Yeah. So is that um, is that indicating it's shining its light, or is that got a big light. kind of yeah, so it's pointy. shining its light from whatever okay. it's on its head. Yeah, it looks kind of like a pterodactyl. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, with the wings like um, you'd see on gargoyles, where they kind of hook up and turn into a cloak. The cartoon from the 90s. That's right, gargoyles, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're now getting to the absolute climax. I know you love climaxing. Just before you do that, um, the beast, remember, was... 0.001 nautical miles tall. I had a feeling that you might be converting <laughs> that when I heard you type. <laughs> right, so Friday What are they going to do with this 0.001 nautical miles? Oh, stay beast? tuned and you'll find out. <laughs> um, so Friday evening, October 2nd, 1903. So the townsfolk watched a thunderstorm roll, rumble, this is Friday. flash in the We're in a Friday it and it's it the second. And much the same trepidation that you're right here. <laughs> they did the sun setting and with it the start of another terrifying night. Nightfall would bring with it darker shadows than most in Van Meter would remember them being. Much had changed in just a week. The creature had revealed itself to many already. Hey yo. <laughs> you know, exactly when you end up revealing yourself to many, you know, <laughs> you don't get the same sort of rapturous applause that you once got. No. No. So he revealed himself to me, like, oh, really? Oh. Chased out of the town exactly. with guns. Exactly, one of them would have shoot you dead. <laughs> the old coal mine on the edge of town had been shut down for a few years. However, Van Meter townsfolk now believe the abandoned mine was the source of the monster, its passage from hell. People had been hearing noises for some time emanating from the mine shafts. Not just noises, mind you but only the sounds that the most fearful mind can hear. And according to an article in the Des Moines Daily News on October 3, 1903, it was as though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for a battle. I'm not sure what an imp is. An imp? Imp. I-M-P? I-M-P. I'm on it. The uproar of commotion would continue until reaching a fever pitch only an hour into Saturday morning. It would be a restless night for those catching wind of the newest monster reports. Imp, a small mischievous devil or sprite. Kind of has those same wings that I described, like a pterodactyl. Right. But more like um, yeah, a little devil type character with arms and legs Wee also. Dev. Little Wee horns dev. on it and a, and a tail. But yeah, those same wings. Right. So we're jumping straight into the climax moment. Here Let's we go. Do it. Okay, so early morning Saturday, October 3rd, 1903. Adjacent to the coal mine was a functioning tile and brick factory on the same ground. Operations manager J.L. Pratt Jr. was there early Saturday morning. As 1am approached, almost as on cue, more sounds from the mine shaft drew J.L. Pratt Jr. to the edge. 
The moon was nearly full, and when not obstructed by the passing rain clouds, allowed Mr. Plant to peer down just a bit further into the dark borehole. The mine shafts dropped down hundreds of feet with many twists and turns off in every direction. They are also polluted with the worst runoff and chemical concoctions from when the mine was active. <laughs> Adding to that are deadly gases that can fill the shafts and they are, can either explode with the slightest spark or silently suffocate any foolish soul who draws near enough to fall in. As he got closer, the disturbing sounds grew louder and the monster suddenly appeared at the entrance. The shocking moment was not over though, as directly behind the first monster there appeared another somewhat smaller one. An the, imp. An imp. <laughs> <laughs> they both gave off a brilliant light that was as striking as it was blinding. Mr. Pratt did have a good look at the monsters as they flew past, noticing their horn-like protuberance emanating the extraordinary light as they sailed away into the dark. As chilling as this experience may have been, some comfort could have been taken in this accidental discovery that could rid the town of Amita from the monsters. They had just discovered their lair. Crazy. This latest sighting at the mine shaft spread speedily through the town, even at the odd hour. Men gathered their brimmed hats and raincoats for protection from the rain as they hatched a hasty and wicked plan to ambush the monsters. They geared up with their largest and most powerful guns available and headed out into the night. As they left the safety of their homes, all the electric lights were turned on. Indeed, as they moved through the town back to the old mine and as word spread, the lights all over town were turned on in hopes to offer those left behind some protection and to frighten the monsters off. Should the creatures return to the old mine opening, a crowd of men and guns were gathered together near the entrance. Their plan was simple, to rid the earth of them when they should return. The so I can't began. get a gauge on this town at all. Can't get, can't build up a picture of it in my head. I didn't think there was lights. Now you're saying they turned all the lights on. I didn't think there was cars, but then there's a dude in a car. It is. I've so got, I've got this... electricity existed in 1903. Yeah, I realise that. I just I have trouble placing what the town is. I guess comparing it to movies my mind has gone to like the wild wild west and then i guess it's 1903 and it's uh an iowa yeah yeah <clears throat> so van meter at the moment um what's their population now oh, they're population four. 1016 oh geez still small so in uh in 1900 the population was 407 mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah so everyone would know everyone yeah but yeah just um carry on i'll just place it in my mind oh here's an article now that i've um googled it about an ancient winged creature that terrorized van meter oh, there you go. <laughs> in 1903 <laughs> shall i finish the story <laughs> you might as well <laughs> So the waiting began with the men <clears throat> camped out of the entrance to the mine shaft. So nothing returned to the old mine area through the night, even though the watch never wavered. Just when the desperation and defeat were starting to seep into the psyche of the men, someone noticed something appear in the sky in the breaking dawn. An eight-foot-tall creature with huge bat-like wings was spattered, spattered at, <laughs> they spattered it when it approached the mine. Not far behind this was the second creature. The men who were still gathered at the mine fired shots. In a moment, their considerable guns fired countless times at the beasts. It must have sounded like an explosion to the rest of Van Meter. 
It sounded that the reception received would have sunk the Spanish fleet. Oh, it's an old school mm. reference. <clears throat> the creatures added to the chaotic situation with their own thunderous screeches and unearthly noises in response to the bullets. Then the peculiar odour returned, released from the monsters. The men who laid in wait sent bullets downrange to the monsters as fast as they could. The same men were forced to watch in bewildered trepidation as the unaltered monsters slowly descended the shaft of the old mine. As the last man fired his final bullet, a surreal silence fell over the entire grounds of the factory. So the things couldn't be hit, touched, affected by the bullets. Crazy. And sailed past them into the mine. And this is the... Um the the whole town and on it like yeah. this is everyone shooting at these pot. crazy things yeah. yeah so daybreak saturday october 3rd 1903 as the tale of the terrorizing events at the factory in the old mine burned through van meter like a wildfire action needed to be taken a force of men set to work to barricade the mouth of the mine locking up the monsters in the mine seemed like a good idea and the mine the mine and the mine was sealed forever shut so no one's been in there since. So just to wrap it up, um, here's a few um, ideas and thoughts. So what was the Van Meter Visitor, which is another term for it, mm-hmm. uh, and was it real? A hoax was dismissed. What uh, dressed-up prankster could survive the firepower? Mm-hmm. The witnesses were all very well-respected members of the Van Meter community, mm-hmm. uh, which adds substance to their claims of encounters with the monstrous visitor. And physical evidence in the form of a cast of a footprint, talon or claw, were made back in 1903. However, this has since been lost to time. What, the cast? Mm. Yeah, interesting. Gone miss. Van Meter librarian Jolena Walker says that whether one thinks the monster was real or not depends on your belief system. Walker found the legend had survived the generations in the town's centennial book. Old timers remember it, she said, though their opinions of its authenticity vary. I know there is good, and I know there is evil. I believe there is a god, so I believe there is a demon. I'm saying it was evil. So Walker says she drove the gravel road out of the abandoned brick plant um, in the last couple of years after her interest in the legend was piqued. Mm-hmm. I never want to go up there again, I tell you that, she said. I tried to back up the car, and I don't know if it was loose gravel, but I couldn't back it up right away. I'm <laughs> thinking, what is going on? I'm getting out of here. Mm. So she struggled with the car in reverse. <clears throat> An interesting thing in that is... Um the level of detail of um some of the accounts so the it's one thing to say you saw something but another thing to say um i saw it it was eight feet tall had bat-like wings whatever the next night someone else seeing something with bat-like wings with a detail the the odd detail to me is that climb down the light post like a parrot using its beak because you would, you just wouldn't think of that. No, exactly. That's sort of like you would have witnessed that. Mm. Um, like you wouldn't have put that into your story if you were making it up. Is what I'm getting. That's at. right. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like it's a too specific detail. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, John Jungman is a farmer who owns the pasture with the coal miners covered up, and he says he always had a funny feeling about the place. But his son John laughs it off, and this is present day tense now. He called it, well, we called it the Brickyard Monster, said his son, John. Uh, he's making it sensational. It's a fun legend and, and all that. Fun to scare the kids off of campfire stories. Another possibility to explain the fearsome Vameda monster could have surfaced on the other side of the world where cryptid creatures of a somewhat similar nature have been reported. 
Ahuls are described as enormous carnivorous bats that are said to inhabit the rainforest of Java in Indonesia. Believed to have a wingspan in excess of 10 feet, Ahuls are said to be covered in thick brown or black fur like fruit bats, but unlike bats have long powerful legs and claws that are supposedly capable of pouncing on and snatching up live prey, including humans, if the stories are being believed. Sightings of our hills are often dismissed simply as mistaken glimpses of owls, eagles and other large birds of prey that inhabit the same rainforest, but some sources claim the creatures do indeed exist, and may even be on an isolated and yet undiscovered species, or species descended from the Pterosaurus, which is like a pterodactyl type thing. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, a strange unknown creature could have emerged from the mines. Perhaps the pollution from the mine runoff caused some type of mutation, Maybe it was a demonic entity, a dinosaur thought long extinct, or cryptid from the depths of the earth. Or perhaps this is nothing but a myth that has become more elaborate over time. There is no proof of its existence, other than witness tales and descriptions from over 100 years ago. The creature has not been seen since that final battle was raged between man and monster during the early hours of October 1903. If these events really did take place, from here we are left to wonder. Did the creatures find another way out? Or are there skeletons still deep inside the mine to this day? Perhaps they are supernatural creatures or demonic entities who do not feel the cold, careless grip of time and are still trapped there today, dazzling light blazing from their horns, evermore exploring the underground for an exit. So, yeah, that's the Van Meter Monster. All right. Random, weird, it happened for like a week, and then it disappeared forevermore <laughs> yeah crazy the uh yeah the the picture i guess we can put up uh somewhere probably use it as a descriptor on the website um yeah that's an interesting one like i say some of the details that come out of the um reports seem a little too detailed to be made up yeah and like had this happened in like 2003 you'd often think that hey this is what this is is just a, a publicity stunt to try and pull some life into a dying t- small town but yeah this is like really old and you actually like when i heard about it I actually did a bit of quite a bit of searching to find further mm-hmm. details about this like it's not that well known and right they're not really pushing for publicity like they're not doing like some of these stories they have an annual town festival to the monster yeah yeah, yeah. to try and draw people into town yeah it's just kind of like this crazy thing that happened that no one really knows much about they Mm. buried it up and now no one really wants to speak about it because it's creepy and scary and yeah Yeah, and just will be just forgotten to time like i think like if you went there people would be fully um could fully believe that it really happened based on stories that are probably passed down through families and that so the one little holy grail would be it'd be real nice to have the plastic cast it would be amazing to have that yeah yeah. that would Um, just cement it but yeah and i guess i mean you could see if you could launch an expedition into the mine to see what's there but it's probably so horribly corroded and dangerous that you yeah, just unsafe. really can't go down so yeah um yeah it's probably going to remain a mystery mm. now though um the fact that similar creatures have been seen in other parts of the world may link up to some sort of subspecies but it seemed to have emerged from the mine shaft which also is quite curious like it had been trapped it was mm. released through the mine and then all of a sudden um once it was closed up and buried, it was it was locked. Mm. Never seen again. Never seen again. Like it's and it's been over a hundred years, and the thing hasn't turned up. So yeah, yeah. Interesting. 
Thanks very much. Mm. Um, shall we move on? We're, we're you know running itching, quite long. You know what I'm itching for? Um, I could probably guess. Some strange. <laughs> strange. So shall we jump into the final um, section of the show? I realize we're running a little bit long. Um, this one's likely to go over an hour, <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> up there. Um, so the last ones have all been caught up like 53, 58. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've just been talking bollocks. Um, <laughs> um, so this is this segment of the show where I grab the 1982 Reader's Digest. You grab Mysteries it out of the right in front of me. Um, a book which is full of um, all sorts of, uh, as it says on the cover, how ordinary men and women have experienced the strange, the Stop. uncanny, and the incredible. So I'm just going to flick through. Tony will say stop, and then um, on whichever random page we end up, I will read a tidbit or story, um, and we'll go from there. Okay. I am flicking now. Stop. All right. Name that section. That section is Inexplicable Crimes and Assaults. Oh. <laughs> there's a few, um, there's actually quite a few on this two page spread. Um, so it might be that we can grab a couple. Um, let's try this random one. I don't even know if it's any good, but The Hooded People in Black. A forestry service employee reported seeing several people in hooded black robes near Cove Creek in Blaine County, Idaho, uh, one day in September 1975. The, the following day, a number of mutilated cattle were found in the area, oh. and police launched an unsuccessful search for the supposed cultists. And on October 9th, a motorist told police that he had been driving along, a U, along US Highway 95 in northern Idaho about 3.30am when he encountered some 15 masked people forming a roadblock with linked arms. He managed to turn the car around and escape. <laughs> Doesn't seem that unexplained. It's just some people have done it. He could have, like, he could have driven his car through them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take one out. Well, maybe they were just trying to hitchhike. They were like, oh, there's 15 of us. Can we get in the car? <laughs> it's literally like, the end of that story. Right. There's no... That to me doesn't seem that strange. It's he just, a, it seems a, weird, but yeah. it doesn't seem paranormal. Was he like an Uber driver and they'd call <laughs> it, 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 it seen for an Uber and he's like, actually, there's 15 of you. I can't fit you all in here. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to order at least another two. You're not playing my retro Game Boy in no. the back <laughs> to give me five stars. Let's try another one. Um, this one I see has a little buzzword that I know you'll like a tidy UFO or not. A dead bull. <laughs> Jeez. With parts of its body lying neatly severed nearby, was found early one morning in 1976. This is all about cattle mutilation. It yeah, must be cattle mutes. <laughs> That's what they call it. <laughs> early one morning. Evidently. In 1976, by Manuel Gomez as he drove across his ranch near the town of Dolce. I think it's Manuel. Manuel Gomez. My name is Manuel Gomez in New Mexico perplexed Gomez went into town to get state police officer Gabe Valdez <laughs> Gabe Valdez nice Gabe 
Returning to the bull a while later, the two of them discovered that the severed pieces were gone and the other pieces had been removed from the carcass and other pieces had been removed as well. Gomez also saw pod-like tracks over his tr truck tire tracks. Arriving at the ranch field within 48 hours of the killing, Howard Burgess, a professional photographer and a writer for popular mechanics and prevention magazines, shot a roll of black and white film on the site. To his astonishment, two of the 20 photos taken nine frames apart show two little round spots about midway up in the sky. The two little round spots, uh, the relationship of one spot to the other changes from one picture to the other. The other snapshots on the rolls show only a blank sky above the field where the mutilated animal was found. The spots in the sky, Burgess said, were not visible to the naked eye. It could, be, it could very well be a flaw within the film, but I've never had that happen before. So there's a picture of um, the round spots in the sky. Um, is it like the photo that's included? The photo is included, which I'll snap on my phone and actually oh. put up on Instagram. All right, so you've got sort of a, a paddock, some trees, and some circles sort of hovering above. They look like sort of balloons, but obviously they weren't visible to the, the naked Nicky eye. Um, if you look closer from where I am, they look like um, smudges on the lens. Right. The the weird thing is that he says that in a bunch of photos, the relationship between the two changed, so they were different distances apart. Right. So it wasn't like there was so a it couldn't defect. have been smudges on the lens. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, it could be a film, something on the film in different spots, but um, to mention that there was two objects in a bunch of these different frames um uh, here's an interesting one well there's one more picture here which is quite interesting as well um around um a third story so i'll just quickly run through this one um da -da -da. Uh, it's another, another mutilated carcass. Yeah. Um, it's making me hungry. It may actually be... Yeah. I think it actually relates to this story. So there's... Um, yeah, this is not good. This is not This is not a fun end to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's a picture of a dead cow. Oh, man. The caption was what really caught my eye, where it said, um, New Mexico State Police were puzzled by the lack of footprints around a mutilated cattle uh, carcass they were investigating. Um, here they view a cow found dead. <laughs> okay. So does this make you want to have a nice steak dinner? Tonight? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I almost feel like we need to apologise <laughs> for ending this on such a downer. Um, there is another um, page here which is an explanation for cattle mutilation. Um, and looks like there it was not uncommon to uh, New Mexico in the late... 1970s um, and there was even departments set up um, to look into the problem uh, grants of $44,000 were obtained from the US law enforcement um, to investigators at the, year, at the end of a year's work he stated that all the mutilations he investigated were consistent with what one would expect to find with normal preda predation Oh, scatter, right, scavenger yeah. activity which is what normal decomposition like. yeah normal decomposition of a dead animal he believed this would be true for a good many of the other reported mutilations 
So government spent a bunch of money to say, tell everyone there was no issue yeah. and it was actually just predators. Coyotes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> that is a positive end to a podcast. But we also feel like a steak dinner. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's getting close to dinner time, so I could definitely do a steak dinner. Yeah. Nice. Steak stocks will go up. They will be, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll end it there on that note. We'll catch you next week. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the potty. Toodaloo.